You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. It's good to see everybody back um, and some new faces. Uh, so last week we uh, uh, basically left off on um, what uh, most historians consider something of a dark age of Jewish history, which is the, um, the, the Persian period. Um, uh, so just to recap, in 586, the, uh, the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem and, and the temple and uh, um, uh, took a, uh, a fairly large um, group of uh, probably about 70,000 Jews uh, into captivity in Babylonia. Um, uh, about um, um, 50 or so years later, uh, the Babylonian Empire was conquered by the Persians, and uh, the Persians uh, were much more um, generous to uh, to captured populations than the Babylonians had been, and and uh, um, uh, the Persian uh, Persian King Cyrus allowed uh, the Jewish community living in in Babylonia, um, if they wanted to, return to Jerusalem and rebuild the community there. Um, some Jews. Uh, went and some Jews stayed, um, and uh, you can see that reflected in uh, in the Purim story, which is probably uh, an anachronistic story and uh, may not have actually happened historically, but uh, but at least shows you um, that there was a, a a fairly large and in some ways flourishing Jewish community uh, in the Persian Empire and uh, and and that remained in the Persian Empire. We're not going to really focus so much on uh, on the diaspora communities today, although it's important to note that um, that. That after the uh, the uh, exile um, in 586, there not only was a, 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 um, a diaspora community in uh, in Babylonian uh, later Persia, uh, but also diaspora communities that, uh, that that emerged in in places like Egypt. Um, Egypt becomes a fairly uh, important diaspora community. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it um, today, um, and uh, and of course uh, Babylonia will. Will, will wax and wane, um, but later on uh, in the period that we're going to talk about uh, this afternoon, um, later on, uh, Babylonia, which isn't like ancient Babylonia um, by that time, is uh, um, uh, um, uh, Persian and later uh, Sassanid Babylonia becomes um, really the, uh, the, the seat of, uh, of, of Jewish um, uh, Communal life and, uh, and and religious and intellectual expression a little bit later in, in Jewish history, um, but it's important. What one of the things that I wanted to um, have as a takeaway from last time, and it's important to note this time, is that um, um, Judaism has a really radical transformation after that first exile. Um, it, it two things happen. The first is that um, uh, uh, Judaism uh, really. Um, uh, becomes uh, divorced in some way uh, from uh, from from its landedness, right? So uh, in the ancient world, um, it was uh, pretty unthinkable that uh, that that your religion, your religious life, and your God would be detached um, or disassociated from uh, the uh, uh, from from the land of origin. Um, so you had Baal Peor, right? Uh, the, the 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 god Baal, who was connected to the place Peor. Um, you had that in Greek culture too, right? The the Greek gods resided in uh, on on Olympus and uh, and had a you know a jurisdiction, right? Uh, but uh, uh, but um, uh, what what the transformation that happened um, uh, following the uh, the Babylonian uh, exile um, is uh, a sense that Judaism um, was portable. The God of Israel was portable. The God of Israel wasn't just the God of Israel, but was the God of uh, the whole world and uh, could be worshipped anywhere and ought to be followed any place. Um, so it became a, a sort of portable uh, Judaism. The second is that, um, and it's a related uh, uh, idea, that, um, that, that Judaism becomes very strongly shaped and influenced by its experience in, in the diaspora. Right? That, that notion of, of being a, a portable religion, but also being a minority uh, culture uh, among a majority and and often a subjugated minority at that um, had a 
I mean, obviously it wasn't fun sometimes to be Jewish, but it did have a very positive uh, impact, I think, on, uh, on, on what it meant to be Jewish, a strengthening impact. It's sort of like, uh, you know, the pressure that makes a, a, a diamond out of coal, right? Um, uh, the, the, the experience of uh, being a minority population in a larger majority had that impact on, on the Jewish community. So in the period we talked about last week, that's one of the... Um, one of the phenomena that led to the uh, development of the, the actual redaction of the Torah and ultimately of the Bible, the need for a, uh, for a, 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 a book that people could turn to and read and, and, uh, and come to that, that could be carried with you, um, that, uh, um, uh, that, that could be the source and of, uh, of religious expression and uh, the direction of religious life. Um, uh, and and also that uh, um, um, could um, uh, um, uh, oops, wherever that is is okay. Um, <laughs> that uh, that could enable the the Jewish people to um, to uh, turn to to not have to rely on centralized religious authorities for uh, for for religious instruction, or religious teaching, and they could turn to uh, to an authoritative source. So. Um, uh, and it was written really in, in a lot of ways to avoid uh, being lost, right? It was written down in a lot of ways to avoid being lost. So it had a very positive impact in some ways on, on what it meant to be Jewish. Um, so the Jewish community uh, uh, begins to rebuild in, um, in, in Jerusalem. They rebuild uh, the, the temple. They reinstitute uh, the Torah as the law of the land when, when uh, Ezra and Nehemiah um, uh, lead later groups of uh, exiles back to, uh, to Jerusalem, the land of Israel. And uh, the, the Jewish community begins to, uh, to um, take root there once again to prosper. And then we enter into what is effectively a, a sort of dark age uh, for the historian. We don't know a lot about what happens for the next, um, I don't know, uh, 150 years or so, uh, 100, 150 years in, uh, of Jewish history. There's not a lot written about uh, what, what happens uh, um, during that time. But the next major event um, that's uh, important to talk about is, uh, is not Jewish, uh, but uh, is a Macedonian Greek named Alexander the Great. Um, and Alexander the Great uh, conquered the Persian Empire in uh, 330 BCE. Uh, and uh, this was not only for the Jews, but for everybody in the world at the time, uh, a, a hugely influential event, uh, bringing um, a, in some ways, radically different uh, culture um, to, uh, to a, a population that had never encountered it before. Um, one of the uh, terms that's um, uh, used to define that culture or describe that culture is uh, is Hellenism, um, which is a which is a stand-in for um, for uh, um, Greek language, Greek practices, Greek thought. Um, for a lot of people, including a lot of Jews, um, at the time, um, the introduction of uh, Hellenism and, and Greek thought, Greek culture into the area was a really positive thing, right? A very enlightening thing, um, and uh, and and it was not particularly seen as a threat to uh, to, to Judaism. Um, Alexander had um, a, a pretty uh, lenient stance uh, toward uh, conquered peoples. Um, and uh, the Jewish community of uh, of Jerusalem, at least, um, and of the land of Israel, was um, was was relatively um, uh, uh, not threatened uh, by uh, by the uh, um, by the expansion of uh, uh, of uh, Alexander's empire. Um, it was really just kind of a transfer of authority from one fairly tolerant uh, um, uh, hegemonist power to another, um, but. All that really started to change in 323 when Alexander died. Right? Um, and uh, when Alexander died, uh, his uh, empire gets divided up among his generals. Um, his general Ptolemy um, gets control more or less, uh, or at least the eastern part of his empire gets divided up by, by these two generals. Um, Ptolemy um, gets control of Egypt and the areas uh, around uh, Egypt. Um, and Seleucus um, uh, gets uh, Babylonia and Persia. Um, 
Seleucus has a very uh, successful time of it uh, and expands that empire dramatically. Um, but what, if you remember from the first session, I said that uh, uh, much of early um, ancient Jewish history is the story of, uh, of, of a, uh, a small group of, uh, of uh, Semitic people who are kind of torn between two great powers and two great empires. Uh, between Egypt to the south and uh, and, uh, and and west, and uh, Babylonia to the to the north and east, um, and uh, for a while that is uh, not really the case anymore. Um, but this period really reintroduces that when Alexander's empire gets divided up, all of a sudden the Jews living in the land of Israel um, are uh, are at the crossroads between two. Um, dueling empires um, and they're constantly uh, struggling for, uh, for power and dominance in the region uh, you know, Alexander divided up the empire but both of them want control over the other person's half Right? And, uh, and so little land of Israel is sort of stuck in the middle between these uh, uh, two fights originally um, the land of Israel is included under uh, Ptolemy's portion of Alexander's empire um, eventually um, uh, it, it, um, the Seleucid uh, uh, king um, Antiochus III um, is able to uh, conquer that part of, uh, of the Ptolemaic uh, empire uh, away and get control over um, the Jewish population there now there is a uh, um, uh, a difference of opinion between uh, the Ptolemaic rulers and the Seleucid rulers about how to deal with uh, um, with subjugated peoples. The Ptolemies had a relatively um, open stance toward the uh, to the to native culture, native religion. The Seleucids had a much more aggressively um, Hellenistic stance toward. Uh, Subjugated peoples. They, what they really wanted, what they saw as being uh, the the mark of uh, of great uh, of, of great conquest and great power, was um, uh, building a vast and vibrant and noticeable um, uh, Hellenistic empire. Um, so, with uh, with with you know temples to Greek gods in the cities, gymnasia in the cities. Um, for a lot of subjugated peoples, Jews included, that was a really good thing. Um, uh, you know, like a lot of Jews in America today, right, uh, um, or elsewhere in the in the world, um, uh, the the outside culture offers a lot, right? It offers uh, the avenue into uh, prosperity and trade. It offers um, enlightened ideals. It offers um, uh, a, a, you know, great culture and, uh, and and music and art and uh, and sport. Um, to some people, the in the uh, the expansion of uh, the, that kind of hegemonist culture um, into uh, a, a traditional milieu is uh, is very threatening, um, and uh, and and become very hostile to it. Hostile not only to the culture but also hostile to those Jews who have adopted that culture because they see them as uh, well. They see them as assimilated Jews. They see them as traitors. They see whatever whatever epithet that you hear some Jews throw to other Jews in our time today. You know, is uh, there there was a uh, an ancient uh, um, uh, equivalent to it. I'm I'm sure. Um, but at the at the time that we're talking about um, the uh, the expansion of Hellenism under Seleucid rulers and to a lesser degree under Ptolemaic rulers. Um, was uh, um, was not um, uh, was not openly hostile to uh, uh, to the uh, um, indigenous cultures. It was, if we're talking about the Jews specifically, it was not openly hostile to the Jews. It wasn't as if uh, the uh, Antiochus III said to uh, the Jewish population, "Not only are we going to uh, build gymnasia and temples and uh, um, and and allow you know Greek art and and literature, etc., philosophy, uh, but we're also going to outlaw Judaism or demand that you participate in these activities in this culture, etc." Um, so there was a population of Jews that were. Um, uh, hostile and opposed to this, uh, what they saw as an imposition of the outside culture, but it wasn't at a at a at a boil because it wasn't being forcibly imposed on on the population. The successor to Antiochus the Third um, was 
creatively named Antiochus IV. <laughs> um, and, um, uh, and, and he saw, when he uh, ascended power, um, he saw the way to consolidate his power and to, uh, and, and to you know, uh, uh, build and expand his empire and his dynasty was to um, expand um, Seleucid prestige, Greek prestige. Um, and so in that, with that in mind, what Antiochus IV did was really aggressively um, expand uh, Hellenistic efforts. Uh, he really wanted to make the areas under his control more noticeably Greek. Um, and so, uh, um, like he did in other areas, um, we're interested in what he did in, uh, in the land of Israel especially. Um, and so, uh, um, one of the things that Antiochus IV, by the way, Antiochus IV um, also gave himself a, uh, uh, a, a title, um, Epiphanes, uh, which means in Greek, uh, revelation, right? Um, there was, if I remember correctly, a, uh, um, a, a derisive uh, Jewish um, epithet that was ascribed to him um, uh, instead, but I can't, like a play on the word epiphanies, now I can't remember what it was, I'll, I'll have to go back and look at it, uh, but something like, um, you know, the, uh, the insult or something like that, something. Um, anyway, so... Um, uh, and and with that title, what, uh, what 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 he saw, or at least how he wanted others to see him, was not only as a king, but as a but as a as a god, which was actually not all that uncommon uh, in the uh, in, in the ancient world, was for uh, uh, kings to um, uh, ascribe divinity to themselves. Uh, and Antiochus wanted to um, to uh, reclaim that practice of uh, of being not only a king, but uh, but having a divine rights and divine authority, and so. In, in, in addition to um, forcible um, uh, Hellenism uh, in uh, the areas under his control, he also um, imposed uh, worship of him uh, in the areas under his control. Um, and so some of the things that he does that, uh, the, that many Jews come to like less and less um, is uh, to treat, uh, the, uh, to treat uh, um, uh, the Jewish population in, in much that way, to impose Greek culture on the Jewish population. So what he does, he treats the temple as Greek property um, and a political institution from which money could be made. Um, so what he does is he uh, installs his own priests. Uh, and uh, um, uh, one um, uh, was named Onias, um, and uh, his brother Jason are uh, installed by Antiochus um, uh, 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 as the uh, into the priesthood in the in the temple, um, and uh, um, and uh, um, allowed uh, the worship of uh, Greek gods in the temple. Um, a man named Menelaus, um, who wasn't even a member. You, if we, if we uh, recall, we talked about it in the first session. Um, the sort of tripartite uh, power uh, in uh, ancient Judaism between king, priest, and prophet. Um, and uh, um, uh, the priesthood, as, as most of you probably know, um, is uh, supposed to be a, a, a tribal familial um, uh, uh, office. Um, Sorry? Well, the, right, the Kohanim. Uh, and uh, the, the priests had to come from a particular line, um, which were all descended from a larger line called the Levites. Right? Menelaus, who Ant, uh, Antiochus IV installed as a high priest, was not even a, a Levite. Right? Again, a series of steps that, uh, of, of, um, of not only forced Hellenization, was but he of... Was he a Jew? Menelaus was a Jew, yeah. Uh, you will find that lots of Jews at this time, even the ones that uh, we'll see, um, were very strongly associated with Jewish nationalism and Jewish religious nationalism, um, also had um, Greek names and were very much a part of the Greek culture, um, uh, in, in much the same way that uh, many very passionate and, uh, um, and serious Jews today have, uh, have American names, right? But if he uh, treated yeah. it as Greek property, he did not do it still a Jew. That's true. That's, he, what I, that's why. What was, I, uh, what, what was the comment? If he treated it as Greek property, he didn't have to install a Jew. That's true. Um, so there was a. Um, so this process evolved over time, um, and uh, and it, and at first, I think that um, um, he thought that he could 
um, uh, um, install something like a puppet, right? So that uh, it would it would have the appearance of being a part of the old order, uh, but would really be loyal to him and his interests and, and his needs. Um, um, so. Okay, where do I want to go to next? Um, so anyway, so Antiochus uh, um, uh, first engages in this process of uh, of uh, of uh, um, uh, of uh, ascribe using utilizing the what's that? Hellenization. Yeah, but utilizing the temple for uh, for for those purposes, which creates a lot of increasing Jewish unrest. Right? And um, uh, um, uh, and as we'll see, is a pattern that sort of uh, repeats itself over um, the Greek and the Roman period in Judea- in uh, in in, uh, um, in Jewish history, when uh, a foreign ruler um, engages in a moderately unpopular. Uh, course of action. Because remember, there were a lot of Jews that were actually perfectly comfortable and perfectly happy with, uh, with, with Hellenization, um, even forced Hellenization. And there were Jews that forced themselves to be Hellenized to, to the extent that when the uh, gymnasium was, uh, uh, was built in Jerusalem and the, the sporting events in the gymnasium were all done in the nude, which meant that, uh, um, uh, that people could see who was Greek and who was not Greek, if you catch my drift. Um, and there were uh, Jews that, uh, because of that, um, uh, would refuse to circumcise their own children or went through a very painful process of uh, reversing circumcision. Um, the, the term for which is a great word. Now I can't remember what it is. Um, uh, so... Um, it does, yes, I'm sure, because um, remember, this is a time before anesthesia, etc. Um, and these are adult men who are who are doing this. Um, uh, epi- okay, anyway, epi something. Um, um, so there are lots of Jews that very actively want to be a part of Greek culture, want to look and act and do and and be uh, and, and be like Greeks is fine, but. <clears throat> But a little bit of push from the um, from from uh, the Seleucid Greek ruler from Antiochus expands a little bit more of the unrest, right? And when unrest starts bubbling up, Antiochus starts being more aggressive, harsher, right? Um, um, not only utilizing, say, the temple for Greek worship, but banning Jewish worship from the temple, right? Um, things like that. So this happens over and over again in the period that we're talking about, that, that there's, a, there's a, 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 a little bit of unpopularity from the, uh, from the dominant power, and it starts to create a little bit of turmoil among the Jewish population. The rulers see and become afraid of the turmoil among the Jewish population and want to reassert control and reassert power. So they engage in harsher policies, which, which creates more and more unrest. And eventually that unrest bubbles over into uh, revolt. So it happens several times during the period we'll ta- we're talking about, but I saw a question. Okay. Um, so ultimately, what that meant for uh, Antiochus IV is that he uh, bans traditional Jewish religious practice. In 167, Jewish sacrifice was forbidden, uh, Shabbat and holidays were banned, and circumcision was outlawed. Um, altars to Greek gods were set up, and animals uh, prohibited to Jews. Most notably, and in, in the literature, pigs were sacrificed in the temple and in uh, um, uh, other altars. Um, uh, Zeus was placed on the altar of the temple in Jerusalem a statue I mean of Zeus was placed on the altar of the temple in Jerusalem Um, possession of Jewish scriptures Torah was uh, made a capital offense so some Jews remember saw these as welcome reforms they are making they are making the land of Israel more cosmopolitan Um, um, and and, and I say that um, not with um, 
uh, not derisively. I mean, I think that, that it's worth noting that often we get taught about Jewish history and it's like, okay, so there was this, there was this one pristine uh, um, uh, image of what uh, Judaism was. It was dropped from a mountain, right? And um, periodically over the course of history, there were people who, who uh, tried to erode it or, or dismantle it or they just didn't care about it or they abrogated it. And the, the um, trajectory of Jewish history is the fight against the people who care about the good old time religion versus the people who are just trying to to rip it apart piece by piece or ignore it entirely. I don't think that that's really true. I think that there there over the course of history were um, a number of different Judaisms uh, and uh, um, eventually they uh, go through periods of consolidation um, and then then after a period of consolidation um, you the consolidated product interacts with real life and real people who have different uh, approaches and different interpretations and um, different needs and um, uh, uh, different uh, are in different life places um, and uh, and so uh, relate to that tradition very differently. And I don't necessarily think that it's uh, it's helpful to say, okay, you know, the the Jews um, who enthusiastically supported Antiochus's um, uh, Hellenization were the were the bad Jews and the Jews who um, opposed it were the good Jews who were the defenders of the faith I know that's how we get taught it um, but I'm not sure if that's necessarily helpful um, in part because um, there was a lot of good that Greek culture um, offered and imparted to uh, the the Jewish tradition um, the um, the Mishnah, which is a later Jewish text, um, has Greek concepts and Greek phrases um, uh, uh, sprinkled in throughout it. The term Sanhedrin, which I'm sure some of you are familiar with, right, is a, is a Greek-derived term and probably got its structure from uh, Greek systems of justice. Um, uh, Greek-style democracy was um, uh, um, uh, influential to, to Jewish thinkers in, I think, positive ways. So th- there's 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 a lot of uh, of what you might call external culture that uh, positively impacts um, Jewish culture and that uh, that we should maybe celebrate the decision of some Jews to uh, enthusiastically embrace it. And on the other side, um, I think that if, if you and I... You and you or I were to meet the Jewish religious nationalists of this time, we probably wouldn't get along very well with them, right? Um, and so we, you know, and so Hanukkah comes around. We celebrate them as the great defenders and liberators of the faith. But the truth is that actually, um, they are probably the Jews with uh, with whom many of us would uh, have very strong disagreements in our time, right? So it's important to remember. Um, we haven't gotten to the Maccabees yet, but the, but so. Um, in 165, that was 167 BCE was when Antiochus um, uh, uh, made those, depending on how you look at them, uh, um, uh, uh, reforms or um, or innovations in uh, uh, um, in in the law of the land. Um, in 165, um, a rural Jew, a rural Jewish priest named uh, Matityahu Mattathias. Um, uh, uh, the Hasmonean, the um led a revolt against the uh, against the uh, Seleucid king. Okay, so the so the revolt really had two dimensions. The first part of it was uh, <coughs> a Jewish civil war. Um, so part of the revolt was turning against uh, Jews who were Hellenist sympathizers. The second dimension of it was a political uh, revolt against the uh, against the ruling powers um, so uh, uh, the, the revolt starts sort of uh, um, uh, smally uh, the uh, uh, Matthias and his five sons um, kill a, uh, a Hellenist sympathizer um, in uh, um, uh, uh, near Jerusalem uh, and they fl- Fled to the wilderness and recruited an army of uh, of zealots. A year later, uh, Mattathias dies, and his son Judah um, takes over the leadership of the rebellion. And Judah proved to be a very strong and uh, successful military leader, leading a, a, a fairly um, small army of uh, of Jewish religious zealots um, in a campaign of guerrilla warfare against. Jewish Hellenists and against uh, the Seleucid authorities, um, and uh, um, uh, um, 
over the course of a year, um, in part because of the strong uh, uh, passion of the um, guerrilla fighters led by Judah, and in part because Antiochus was fighting other battles at, uh, at the same time on different fronts. Remember, he was um, uh, 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 fighting against the, the, the Ptolemaic uh, dynasty, but also uh, the Parthians. Um, and, uh, and during that moment, the Maccabees sort of seized the opportunity and um, were able to um, wrest control of the temple away from the, uh, from, from the Seleucid authorities and rededicate it to uh, the God of Israel and reinstate the traditional Jewish sacrifices um, in the temple. The, um, the army of fighters who come to be called the, the Maccabees, um, the, the Hammers, um, um, after that was Judah's uh, um, uh, uh, nickname, um, uh, they name him King. Um, he isn't really King for a while. Um, it, uh, um, it, it's still, Jerusalem and, and Judea are still under um, Seleucid control for another couple of years. Um, and have skirmishes and fights with uh, with with the Maccabees, who are still um, uh, uh, wanting to um, completely dismantle Seleucid control, um, and uh, and other Jews who um, are perfectly happy with Seleucid control, even though they're fine to let the Maccabees, you know, um, reinstate their temple. That doesn't really matter one way or the other to the Jews. Um, and uh, Antiochus the fourths. Um, successor had a uh, had a more tolerant policy to the Jews, so there was a little bit of a uh, of a moment of peace uh, for a couple of years. Um, but in 162, um, uh, the Seleucid ruler installs um, a person who the Maccabees see as a Hellenist sympathizer as high priest, um, reigniting the um, the old flames of uh, of um, of having Greek practice and Greek control over the temple. Um, and uh, so they restart the rebellion and this time are uh, successful uh, by 161, um, in part because of the help of the Romans. Um, so Judah turns to uh, Rome for support and, and uh, gets it. Um, the Romans at the time are, um, are an ascendant power uh, who the, both the Seleucids and the Ptolemies are, um, are, are, are coming to um, fear uh, strongly. Um, and uh, with their backing, um, uh, Judah and his army uh, gain uh, independence for the Jews uh, of the land of Israel in 161, and Judah is made king um, until he dies later that year, and his brother Jonathan is made king. All right, so what I just described, of course, is the story of Hanukkah, which is coming up uh, serendipitously. Um, uh, but I, I guess, um, you know, something that, uh, that, that we... Um, often don't think about uh, in, in the story of Hanukkah are a couple things. And the first is um, that this is really a, uh, um, a, a war of, um, uh, of, I guess for lack of a, you know, to, to compare it, it it's, this, is, uh, um, this is the Jewish version of Al-Qaeda uh, versus, um, uh, versus uh, you know, assimilated Jews. Um, in addition to the, the, uh, um, the, um, the, the great uh, power that, uh, that controls them, right? This isn't just a nationalist um, uh, uh, campaign. This is a, a, a religious campaign, too. So that's something to, to consider. The second is that, um, uh, that fatefully this marks the uh, intrusion of Rome into uh, Jewish history. Uh, and we'll see in a moment that that, uh, that, that proves very fateful. Um, but the third is that usually we stop telling the story of Hanukkah there, uh, really after the um, after the, um, the uh, after the clean, cleansing of the temple. Um, maybe we'll go a little bit further for when we get full independence and Judah is made king. But in when the Talmud, which is much later text, talks about uh, the uh, 
the Maccabean revolt. Um, it, it never really. It, it also it also stops at that point, which is why religiously we usually stop. But we don't usually um, think about well, okay, let's check in on those Maccabees a few years later and see what they've done and see how how they're doing. Um, whoops, excuse me. Um, and <laughs> everybody, everybody awake? Okay, so um, so it turns out that uh, um, uh, they don't do all that well. Um, they have about a hundred years of, uh, of more or less independent rule over the land of Israel, um, which will be, which, which is uh, the first independent Jewish commonwealth since the destruction of uh, Judah in 586. So this is, um, you know, 400 years uh, later, uh, um, and, and there won't be one um, after this period until, of course, 1948. So that's uh, um, it is an important accomplishment of this time, and it's why um, Hanukkah is uh, um, uh, probably the most widely celebrated holiday in, in Israel, and it's very much a, uh, a symbol of, uh, of, uh, of, the, of the Zionist uh, enterprise was we're going to uh, uh, um, uh, do what the Maccabees did. Um, but the Maccabees, the Hasmoneans, um, uh, didn't quite live up to uh, their promise of a glorified, restored Jewish kingdom. So the, um, the, the first real Hasmonean uh, ruler is uh, Jonathan, who is uh, Judah's brother. Um, and one of the uh, problems with the Maccabees, at least is the, the way it was seen by a lot of the rest of the population, um, was that uh, um, they... If they were priests, what tribe did they come from? That was an open question. No. They were Levites. Good. Um, the, the priests. The priesthood is a family within the tribe of, of Levi. What tribe is the king of Israel supposed to be from? Well, what tribe was David from? Right. And what the house of David was from? What tribe was Judah? So it meant that to take the kingship for themselves was seen by a lot of Jews <clears throat> as a uh, um, as a, 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 um, usurping the rightful throne. The second problem is that, uh, um, and again, we talked about this, I think, in the first section, session that um, that for a lot of Jewish history. Um, the, power was actually not concentrated in one place. Um, there were kings in ancient Israel, um, but there was also there were also other seats of power in ancient Israel. Um, the, the prophets were a seat of power, and, and often kings were, um, were, were chastised and, uh, and um, um, uh, undermined by, by prophets. So there was a check on king's power, and priests had a lot of power too. Um, so what happened was when uh, Jonathan uh, was uh, made king, shortly after he was uh, he, he claimed the title of high priest as well, consolidating the role of priest and high, and, uh, and, and high priest and king. It was a controversial decision uh, because um, for, for all of those reasons and one more, that uh, uh, be, even though the uh, Maccabees were priests, they were not from the family that was traditionally understood to be the right. You see, you have um, uh, sort of um, uh, um, concentric circles. You have the whole family of Israel. You have the tribe of Levi. You have the family of priests, and then you have a particular family that uh, be, that is the line of the high priest. Right? It's not just any old priest. Um, and the Maccabees were not of that, uh, uh, the Hasmoneans were not of that line, were not of that family. So you have those three problems. One, um, you have priests who aren't uh, fit to be kings, you have priests who aren't fit to be the high priest, and you have people who are grabbing, uh, seen by some as, as grabbing too much power. That shouldn't be all of theirs to grab. Um, uh, a fourth problem. Uh, in order to get the uh, authority to become the high priest, Jonathan has to um, win the support of, uh, of the Seleucids, who are still the great power in the area, even if not in direct control of the land of Israel. And so that's seen by some as, uh, as a, uh, a, um, 
um, a betrayal of the cause of the rebellion in the first place. You're going to say that we fought and died to overthrow Seleucid rule just to have you now be in cahoots with the Seleucids so you can be high priest, right? So, um, uh, so many historians see that as the beginning of a number of splits within the Jewish community um, at the time over basically over the question of how do you relate to the to the Hasmonean dynasty. Do you like the Asmonean kings? Do you not? Did you support the rebellion? Did you not? Um, an additional piece um, of uh, um, uh, um, somewhat controversial nature in uh, in, in Jewish history was um, uh, the relationship between uh, the policies of the of the Hasmonean kings. So they, um, in much the same way that the uh, um, that Antiochus the Fourth engaged in a process of forced Hellenization. The Hasmonean kings engaged in a process of forced Judaization of the population, right? Um, so they went around and circumcised people, for example. They would uh, fight battles and conquer territory and forcibly convert the people in that territory. One of those territories, by the way, um, modern-day Jordan, um, uh, known then as Idumea, um, is going to be important later because one of the uh, uh, forcibly converted families from Idumea uh, produces a child uh, named Herod, um, who uh, becomes uh, king of the of, uh, of of Judea under early Roman rule. Um, so these are all very controversial uh, policies uh, you can imagine among the Jews. Yeah. Where does the name Hasmonean come from? Uh, it was just the family name Hashmonai. Um, uh, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know like what it derives from, or even if it if it has any meaning. Um, but Hasmonean is is the English of of Hashmonai. Um, okay, so I want to spend a little bit of time, and, and of course, we're not going to get to the Roman period. Um, uh, uh, maybe we'll uh, do a, a, an additional class, but uh, it's important. A little bit of time of some of the divisions that arose among the Jews at, at the time, um, and uh, and for the most part, we learn about these in. in um, the primary source, by the way, to learn about a lot that, that we learn about a lot of, uh, of of ancient Jewish history is a um, a Jewish historian uh, named Josephus, uh, Flavius Josephus, who um, some Jews uh, um, hold with a degree of skepticism because um, uh, he uh, um, they see him as a uh, as someone who who was who betrayed the Jews to Rome later on in his life. Um, but nevertheless, he, he writes a pretty uh, comprehensive and, um, and, and most people think uh, um, historically valid um, uh, 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 history of, of the Jews. Um, and so he identifies several Jewish sects, and, and, and most of these sects uh, have their origins in the, uh, uh, under the Hasmonean dynasty. So one is uh, that we don't know a lot about um, are known in Hebrew as the Tzedukim, um, in English or Greek as the Sadducees. Um, and the Sadducees were um, were generally the wealthier were from the wealthier ranks of the population. The priests, merchants, uh, aristocrats, um, they were very much tied into uh, to temple worship and its and its rites. Uh, many of them were uh, um, uh, judicial authorities. Um, and uh, they were pretty conservative religiously, politically. Um, they, uh, they they held to older doctrines. They um, they cherished the the, the, the temple, um, and uh, um, and that was important because um, the the Hasmonean kings, for the most part, um, preserved the the sanctity and integrity of the temple. I mean, that's the, that was what they were fighting for, after all. And so the Sadducees roughly emerged as a uh, group that supported the Hasmonean kings. Um, but they also, um, and they, the, the the Torah obviously was their foundational uh, uh, religious text too. Uh, but their approach to the Torah was um, they were sort of like constitutional literalists, right? They uh, they saw the the word of the Torah um, as being binding um, a, a, in its in its plain meaning. Um, 
So that uh, approach to uh, to the Jewish tradition um, will always have expression, even though they may not be directly related or descended to the to the Sadducees. Uh, but still, today you have um, a group of Jews uh, known as the Karaites um, who approach Judaism in in uh, a similar kind of way. Um, and there are even some uh, Jews uh, um, among what we would now call rabbinic Jews, which is basically the kind of Judaism we practice that approach Judaism in a very Sadducean kind. Of way um, that, uh, that that look as at the Torah and at Jewish literature uh, very literally um, and, um, uh, and and conservatively. Uh, the second major group um, was a group that we know a lot more about uh, called uh, the Prushim uh, in Hebrew, which actually means the separatists, uh, and they were probably called that because they were um, uh, 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 Jewish religious adherents, um, so they should have been uh, part of the Maccabean you know, uh, um, movement, uh, but uh, separated with them over some of the uh, uh, issues that, we, uh, that, that I outlined lined uh, above. Um, they were generally lower class, they were generally plebeian, uh, they um, uh, they supported the temple, but also uh, believed in a more uh, a portable kind of Judaism that could exist and uh, and even thrive outside of the temple. And even more than that, that the laws of purity that usually were associated with just the temple that they applied outside of the temple, many of them uh, as well. Um, they um, uh, uh, um, they were. Um, Characterized, I think, primarily by their approach to Torah. And it was an approach to Torah that was not uh, literalist in the way that the Sadducees was. It was an approach to Torah that was much more um, uh, open and, uh, and inclusive of, uh, of, of varying interpretations. Um, an approach to Torah that we would call now Midrash. Um, and eventually they call Midrash too, although in this period it's probably a little early for using that term. Um, uh, but the notion that there's not only a written Torah, but an oral tradition of how to interpret that Torah, and uh, um, that, that we can't understand the Torah um, uh, literally as it is on the page, um, in part because it's too opaque in areas, um, and, and a part because um, uh, sometimes the Torah, as it's literally written on the page, um, uh, uh, doesn't uh, co inside with um, what we understand to be um, higher ideals and higher values of the of the tradition. Um, they're called the Pharisees. Oh, the Pharisees. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In Hebrew, the Prushim, That's the separatists. Yeah. Um, so those are the two major groups. Um, Okay, just uh, in the last minute we have, I'll, I'll just get to the end of the uh, Hasmonean Empire. So there's the, these divisions among the Jewish populations relating to the Hasmoneans. Um, so they go through varying levels of, uh, of, of popularity over time uh, and uh, varying degrees of, uh, of, of strength in, in who actually holds the, the throne. Um, and... Uh, um, Another dimension, another way in which they uh, come to sort of uh, uh, reflect um, and embody the the, um, very kind of Greek practices that they originally had fought against um, is that uh, um, they seemed over time to be primarily concerned with uh, with with their own with the um, with securing their own power, Uh, and uh, by uh, the if if 161 is really the beginning of the Hasmonean dynasty by about 110 BCE. So about 50 years later, um, there's already a uh, uh, tremendous political infighting and uh, 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 an intrigue among members of the Hasmonean dynasty. Who gets to be king? Who gets to be high priest? So they're 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 you know fighting and backstabbing and. Uh, um, uh, Cultivating rival political parties, so you know some try to get the uh, uh, the backing of the Pharisees, and some try to get the backing of the Sadducees, and they and they uh, uh, vie for control of uh, judicial and, and religious authority. Eventually, by uh, by the uh, mid sixties BCE, this becomes uh, an all out civil war between two. Uh, 
claimants to the throne. Uh, one named Hyrcanus II and the other named Aristobulus II. By the way, it just uh, goes to show you um, the, uh, uh, the, the power of, uh, of Greek influence and Greek culture, that this dynasty that was founded on fighting against uh, Greek culture and Jewish religious purity ends up with kings the na- named Hyrcanus and Aristobulus. Um, and uh, Hyrcanus is backed by the Sadducees, Aristobulus is backed by the Pharisees, um, and uh, both... They're Jews, yes, yes. Um, both sides appeal to uh, Pompeii uh, in Rome, the, um, uh, the, um, uh, the, the, the head of Roman government at the time, um, to settle the civil war. And, uh, and uh, Pompeii uh, um, seizes that opportunity to help uh, settle that dispute, and in the process of doing so, um, also uh, seizes control of the land of Israel. Um, and uh, um, and uh, 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 that proves, of course, uh, fateful for the Rome, of course, had already been part of the story of the Hasmonean dynasty uh, before. They were the growing power in the region, so this wasn't the first time that uh, the, the Hasmoneans had, a, had appealed to Rome, and it wasn't the only time during the course of their history that, that Rome had its finger in what was going on in, uh, in the land of Israel, in part to create a wedge between uh, uh, the um, Seleucids and, and the Ptolemies, and to weaken those uh, uh, powers. Um, and so this was a great opportunity for, uh, for Rome to get a foothold in that region to, uh, to expand its empire. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, um, uh, I'm going to have to stop there, I think, because of time. Uh, and, uh, if there is enough enthusiasm around the table, I'll, uh, do a fourth session at some point in the not too distant future that talks about what happens to, uh, the Jews under Roman rule. But this, uh, marks the end of, uh, uh, what we would call the Hasmonean dynasty, the beginning of, uh, of Roman rule over, uh, the, uh, what becomes the province of Judea, um, initially um, uh, not exactly um, direct Roman control and Roman, Roman governing. There is a uh, um, um, uh, more or less an autonomous Jewish king in the form of Herod, um, uh, who of course was installed and kept in power by the Romans, uh, but, uh, but seen by the Romans, and I think seen by himself in a lot of ways, as a, as a king of the Jews. Um, he was Jewish um, uh, by at least his definition and by many Jews' definitions, um, although by, not by other Jews' definitions. Remember, he comes from uh, um, an Idumean family who was uh, uh, forcibly converted by the Maccabees, and there were a number of Jews um, uh, who uh, disagreed with that policy and, uh, and rejected its, uh, um, uh, its, its authority. Uh, but so there's a there's an early period in the in, in the Roman era where there is uh, um, something of a uh, uh, of an autonomous Jewish uh, uh, monarchy um, uh, that exists with with Roman support um, and uh, with uh, with with a degree of Roman control. Um, eventually, that changes, um, and that proves uh, um, uh, an additional fateful step uh, that uh, um, will lead to some. Uh, Um, some important and cataclysmic events in Jewish history. But we will stop there for today. I'm happy to take questions and uh, be on the lookout for when we might be able to do the fourth session of uh, Ancient Jewish History.